This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, as you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today we have a very special guest that I'm looking forward to chatting with, uh, but quickly, uh, because I want to definitely get into some of the good conversation, uh, I will pass you some updates, so uh, kind of in between weeks for me of, of being in the mountains uh, or on the plains, so this weekend I'm heading up with a uh, both Jack and AJ, two of my good friends that you've seen me hunt with before or heard me hunt with before. I think that's how that works. But anyway, uh, you'll see them in pictures and stories and video. But uh, we're headed up to Wyoming here on Sunday to do some antelope hunting, followed on by some cow elk uh, up in the Bighorn Mountains. So pretty excited for that. I've been getting a lot of snow up there. Actually, Ryan and Emily are up there right now, and they are both uh, sending me pictures of a very snowy plains uh, with a lack of antelope. So wishing the best for them as they go through these next three or four days of antelope hunting and then follow on for myself. But outside of that, uh, I just do want to plug a couple uh, of our podcast initiatives. So as many of you may know, if you listened to the last episode, we just recently moved over to uh, – the Waypoint Podcast Network. So we're there now. You can find us on all your standard podcast platforms. In addition to Waypoint has an app, Waypoint TV, as well as their uh, website, Way, I think it's waypointtv.com. Uh, check the check us out there. Let them know that you listen to us and are avid listeners, and it helps us get in the good graces of the 
other podcasts in this network. But uh, good to go. And then uh, also on that network is Antler and Finn, which is our audio cookbook series. So that's on whatever podcast platform you're listening to as well as on Waypoint. But that's just kind of like our recipe uh, takes you step-by-step, ingredient-by-ingredient through uh, the various recipes we have on Harvesting Nature. In case you want to listen from an audio sense. Oh, also our Facebook community page. Be sure to check that out, Wild Fishing Game uh, Community. It's over on Facebook. Uh, it's a good place to interact with everybody sort of day-to-day, all the the major contributors and players in Harvest Nature there. So if you've got questions about cooking, want to share some of your adventures, or even, um, you know, share new recipes, some food photos. We always like those. And then I think... At the end of this episode, uh, we're going to talk about some book giveaway details. Am I right, Lori? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we're going to get to that at the end, but uh, that encourages you to listen to the end uh, all the way through. Don't fast forward. That's cheating. Uh, And learn the details on that. Uh, We're going to be giving away one of Lori's cookbooks, which uh, I'm really looking forward to it coming out uh, because already the pictures I've seen and the descriptions I've read, it sounds really phenomenal. And we're going to talk about it uh, in more detail today so uh, you too can get psyched for the opportunity uh, to purchase one and or receive one. So uh, we'll go for that. But without further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce Lori. So our guest today is dedicated to the cultural foods of Newfoundland and Labrador. She has been featured in National Geographic, The Telegraph, National Post, and many other publications. She is the founder of Cod Sounds, which offers recipes, workshops, and wild food experiences in the Newfoundland and Labrador region. And she will be releasing a new book, as I just said, uh, this year, which is called Food, Culture, Place, Stories, Traditions, and Recipes of Newfoundland. Uh, Lori McCarthy, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, it's good. So there, there's a big time difference between you and I. Uh, it is, yeah. For your Pacific, um, so... Mountain, mountain time. Mountain. Yep. So we are 7.30 here now at night. And okay. in Newfoundland, we have our own time zone. So we're actually an hour and a half outside of Eastern time even. Which is which is cool. And I hate to admit it. I'm sorry that I didn't... I didn't know. Believe it or not, I have a geography degree, uh, and that's <laughs> something that was on my radar. I'm sure there's a geography teacher somewhere uh, <laughs> scoffing to themselves at that realization. <laughs> right, sometimes we lose skills that we don't need anymore. <laughs> so first of all, you got we got to teach you how to say Newfoundland, right? It happens with everyone. Okay, you're not, you're not unique. So it's not Newfoundland. Is Newfoundland all Newfoundland all the one word? Newfoundland, Newfoundland. N- no, not Lind. No, Newfoundland. Land. Newfoundland. Oh God. There you go. <laughs> oh. See. <laughs> Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Got it. All right, you're there probably you go. gonna have to correct me once or more, <laughs> once or twice more. Um, you know, I'm I'm from the southeast or southern United States, and my uh, my accent tends to vary depending. <laughs> so, but I appreciate the lesson. You're you're in good company. It's it's an ongoing joke here when people visit. It's like, nope, right away we got to make sure you say it right. <laughs> so I guess for those uh, those folks who who may or may not look, know geographically, can you give me uh, a, a a slight description? Yeah, on where sure. you are. So we're an island on the most easterly um, uh, point of land in Canada. 
we are you know next point to land as the flow as the cry flo- as the crow flies is uh England okay. and um yeah, it's it's a much bigger island than most people think. I mean, it takes about 12 hours to drive across it. Oh, and, wow. you know, 14 or 15 from, you know, tip to tip diagonally. Yeah, um, you know, more than 90% of the island is uninhabited. So it makes for some great hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, people come from all over the world to hunt, you know, big game here, moose mostly. Um, yeah, and we, you know, our... We have a, a very interesting, um, several microclimates here. I mean, I guess not unlike the mountains and stuff. But, um, yeah, there's like Arctic tundra. There's deep boreal forests. There's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a landscape like I've never really been on before. But, uh, you know, it goes without saying that I'm pretty partial to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you born and raised there? Absolutely, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And what the so if I was to visit, what would be the major town that I would travel into and then adventure out from? Yeah, so you tra- likely fly into St. John's, which is you know right on the most uh, easterly edge. Lots of people fly into Deer Lake, which is more central or, or western, really. And um, you know the west coast of Newfoundland is mountains. It's all actually part of the uh, the Appalachians out there. Oh, and cool. uh, yeah, completely different landscape from one one end to the other. It's uh, you know, if you come, it's a huge national park out there, Grossmore National Park, and people travel from everywhere to get out there. And actually, um, it's one of the few national parks that uh, allow a hunt actually in the park. And you can fly in by chopper, and they'll drop you off deep in the interior. And when you get your moose, they'll uh, they'll actually chopper you out. They'll just hook onto it and take it out and drop it right in the back of your truck. <laughs> That's awesome. What a delivery well, service. <laughs> well, it's like delivery like no other, right? Uh and it's because they're the numbers are enormous and mm-hmm. they're they're so destructive on the on the woods over there, right? So yeah. But it's a, it's a special license that you put in for and it's it's you know sought after. Yeah, I could imagine. It sounds like an incredible experience. I think a lot of hunters uh, would have that sort of on their bucket list, flying by helicopter, <laughs> shoot a moose, have the moose delivered back to your vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it's a different hunt to say the least, hey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, how were you introduced into the outdoors? What what kind of brought mm-hmm. you that journey? So, I mean, I think like most people here in Newfoundland, um, you know, we grew up really close to the land, right? Uh Generations here were very close to, to our generations of, of family. Um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, most people are very lucky in that all their family, from grandparents and grandmothers and, you know, parents and brothers and sisters, we all, it's like if you're from here, you do whatever's in you to, to be able to stay here. And so mm-hmm. it really lends itself to, you know, learning from the generations past, right? Um, I find that, you know, Growing up here, you're you spend you're so close to the land. I suppose you just you spend it with your grandparents and your parents, and everything you do is is based around picking from the land and harvesting from the land, and and the sea um, year round. And so, it's a lot of those traditions come from, or you know, very steeped in 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 being with your family and and that being a tradition. You know, whether it's berry picking or, or fishing and. Um, yeah, and then right into the hunting season, and so 
very fortunate and you know it's not always the case here but most of we have uh, i mean our capital city is like 150,000 there's only half a million people on the whole island and oh, yeah. it's pretty big right so it's we're very sparsely uh you know dispersed most of the people are um in the uh out along the coastline of course for fishing that was our that's mm-hmm. our tradition here so or you know you just grow up in a place where you feel i mean now i feel very lucky to have have grown up next to generations who just lived in the woods and 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 hunted and fished and all that stuff so i mean it was a bit different for me as a girl as i mentioned to you in our our little pre-chat um you're not always fortunate enough to get to to be a part of that and when you're and when you're young sometimes you don't you know i didn't i didn't even think of it that i was missing out i didn't think of it even that it was an opportunity it was a it was not an option for me you know and so it's very you know steeped in tradition around here still sure um but i was going to ask if, if if that's something that you think has changed over time or does absolutely. it kind of remain the same no no it's absolutely changing um and you know i think that i was surprised to learn that there was a lot of women out hunting with their husbands and and with their family members and their brothers and, and fathers and stuff and so it definitely is changing. Um, I mentioned to you earlier, we, you know, when I started hunting, and I'm fairly new to it, I and mean, I guess it's five years now, mm-hmm. and I pulled my first moose license, my first moose tags three years ago, and hunted, um, put a lot of le- put a lot of miles on my sticks, as I say, <laughs> out in the woods, um, and was unsuccessful, but even when I started getting into it, and, and even with like upland birds and stuff, it's a it's really hard to break into it, right? Like it's like you're you're so intimidated by this culture of hunting, uh, and you know it's like the old guard here, right? It's like the old the old fellas, right? And yeah. Um, and yeah, it's hard. And I think I realized that I I think I first got into it through you know cooking, and my life has been in restaurants and. So I really wanted to start diving into the meat side of it and how can we make the most of this animal in ways that we can still put it on the table today um, in a new way and even if it was kind of breaking tradition from the traditional meals. And so when I first started getting involved, it was it was that trying to form that relationship with the people who were ponching the moose right down to, you know, where they make those cuts. And mm-hmm. then when it went to the – and then was the – was the how do I find a butcher who will actually butcher it like I wanted? Yeah. So and it's such an enormous animal. It's like our only big, it's our biggest game animal here, next to caribou, and those are the only two we have big game outside of beer. So that's how I started getting into it. It was like okay, so we have this enormous animal, and it shows up in all the same cuts, and it's like that shameful thing that we hear as. You know, new modern day hunters is that most of the animal will just get ground, and that just became heartbreaking to me. Right, and even more heartbreaking, you'd hear at the end of the year that there's like meat in the freezer that didn't get eaten, and that just broke. Not not a problem at my house. We're straight to the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, it's not a problem in our house anymore either. So, but that's how you know that's how I got into it. Yeah, Um, you know, it's a it's a slow process, and finding mentors was was uh, was a challenge. And but you know what I really loved is that once I reached out and you put yourself out there, man, they're 
there's such good people out there mm-hmm. who just really they're so they want to see it continue so bad right and they're so willing to share their knowledge that um like the first thing i did was was join the the rotten gun club here um we have a, a an amazing active um group of participants in our rotten gun club and those guys just like take you right under their wing and mm-hmm. you know i go and do dinners up there and and we would uh you know, you bring up the guns, you bring up the shells, and you're like, literally, what do I do with this? Like, does this get, like the first gun I had, I showed up up there, and and there's this guy who's um, just a great guy. He's like one of those this scary burly guy in the corner who like I'm afraid to talk to, <laughs> and I start talking to him, and I'm like, you know, this, I've got this gun, and he's like, hold hold that up now, and I hold it up, and he's like, so that gun don't even fit you, and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so, but you know, he's like. This is what you need. This is how a proper, this is how a gun should fit you, and and just like amazing, right? And and we, from there we went to start a program we called the Girls with Guns. So mm-hmm. it was it was brought on from me and my girlfriend Laura Nesbitt, who's like my hunting partner. We were like, man, you know, we started getting re- people reaching out, like, how'd you get into hunting? How do you talk? You know, where do you start around here? And I was like, man, we should just do like a day program and bring everyone together, and it was fantastic. It was great. That's it was awesome. so nice to see like that intergenerational and passing on of knowledge and mentorship. And now, it now really... it's gone. It's gone full circle from you, from from uh, a mentor to mentee, or mentee to mentor, and all the sorts. It's I think it's a good constant cycle to stay in the mix of. Um, it is. It's always be learning, always realize the more you learn, the less you actually know about anything. Oh, and 100%. I think, and that's, you know, you can add that to foraging or hunting or fishing and, you know, just always stay curious, like I say to people about this stuff and ask questions and, you know, you can't, you can't let that, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know what I'm talking about stop you. I think, too, uh, an important thought for folks, and, and not insinuating that you approach it this way because I don't believe that that's the case, but, like, people that walk into it with sort of that uh, kind of know-it-all thought or, like, not not being willing to take uh, the answers to the questions they ask. Like, right. in, in some instances, uh, a, a little bit of humble pie uh, works well and just to be like – I have to ask the question and no matter the answer, like I just have to accept that answer until, you know, I learn otherwise. And like, it, it could be a point of conversation, but I think you close a lot of doors. If you're like, ah, well, you know, I read on the internet that it says this, like people are going to shut you down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's at any experience level. Uh, I think about, uh, I've got a good friend, his name's Craig and Craig and I turkey hunted uh, together last year in central Florida and it was the first time we'd hunted Osceola turkey which is the very special species that only resides in Florida and uh, we were there hunting that and we were like at lunch at the local diner and uh, Craig is very outwardly curious and we'll have conversations so uh, somebody's like hey uh, what, what are you guys hunting and Craig's like we're hunting turkeys and he's like you know where to find any and the guy's like, well, actually, I do. He's like, go go over town, drive across railroad tracks, like turn down this road, drive down, you know, half a mile. The closer you get to the river, the more likely you're to find a turkey. 
we had been hunting like five miles away on the other side of this like area of woods and we never would have known the difference because oh. it was a new area to us. And yeah. it's just like that, that little thing of being like, okay, like let's, let's try it. Like the guy was curious. We just engaged him in conversation and then he ended up coming back over to our table another time and like giving us some other places and just like it turned into a really good conversation. And it was, I was very thankful. Um, but it, it is that thing. Like I, I can't pretend to be a know-it-all. I'm not. And I don't want to be because so many more people know much more than I do. Um, which is great. Well, it's just that those are the moments that if you let, I find myself anyway, if you, if you just give the space to let those moments happen, people will will open up to you about stuff. Whether they're yeah, I mean, I remember stopping almost the same and like asking a guy about about goose hunting, right? And it's like and like a goose hunting in Newfoundland. It's like no one ever tells you where their geese are, <laughs> so it's not like I, <laughs> so it's not like I see you know when I see. Um, people in fields and there's like these fields of corn and this is where mm-hmm. the geese come. And so we don't have any agriculture here. So mm-hmm. there's no big fields of anything. So good luck trying to find six geese who are hanging out together somewhere. Oh, wow. It's Yeah. So, uh, you know, I remember just talking to a, a guy in town. He's, you know, just chatting about anything. I was like, yeah, you know, looking to do a bit of bird hunting. It's kind of new to me. Blah, blah. Sure, geese. Sure, there's a pile of geese up on that pond that I go every time I go up blueberry pick and there's a pile of geese and I'm like, okay, that's fantastic, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, it was good. It's fun. I think it's. Uh, I also like to, you know, you talk about people opening up in the community and it's like if you don't ask the question, sometimes people just they don't know that you're seeking the knowledge and I think that's probably a big encouragement piece to people is like. Just ask. Like Yeah, and you know, I find with the older generations, like you know, I always I feel a little bit like, you know, they get lost in the in the shuffle a bit and we get so caught up in, in our modern day hunt that mm-hmm. we kind of forget the generations of knowledge that they have. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I find that they're they're they really they're dying to share it with you like they love the idea that there's another generation coming behind them to to pass that on to right and so when you ask them it's almost like they're they feel almost honored to to pass that information on to you if they long as you're willing right like it's mm-hmm. it's a delicate uh conversation to have like you say but if you're just if you're just honest and in that curiosity like they they love to sit down. Like I say, in Newfoundland, there's like the best conversations that happen over a cup of tea, right? And if, if you get invited in the shed for a cup of tea, then you're in good hands because then they're looking to have a conversation with you. <laughs> yes. yes. Could be a beer. Could be anything. But if it happens out in the shed, there's like knowledge, important knowledge being passed on. I think it's a great point. <laughs> great point to learn. Tea or beer. <laughs> yep. Whichever. It depends on the hour of the day. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, when we talk about sort of the outdoor foods, is hunting and fishing and foraging, we'll put them all into the wild foods. Like which which do you find yourself doing most and which is your favorite? Mm-hmm. I say I probably forage more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, foraging here is something that we grew up with. Um you know, picking from the land, what, and but it was mostly berries at the time, like when I grew up, 
Yeah, berries and dandelion was about the about the stretch of it for us. Um, okay. So we have that, you know, very much that tradition of of, of fall picking and and you know, Newfoundland's a place where nothing grows for eight nine months of the year. So um, it's interesting that the mindset today is still that that was sort of steeped into mom's generation, which was. Pick as much as you can now because you're not going to get this thing for another year. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so like even something like fruit, like when mom grew up, like mom is only 73 or something. She's more spry than me. She's like goat in the woods, I tell her, right? (laughs) But like mom can actually remember a time when she says, and she's fascinated. She comes to my house and there's like all this fruit. Like mom says, Lori, she said, when we grew up, there was no, like, there was no fruit. Like the only time you seen fruit was when the berries came from the ground. So we knew, like you can't, like for us today, it's so hard to even wrap our heads around that. You know, we go to grocery mm-hmm. store, we go wherever, and there's all, you know, fruit from everywhere, right? But mom says these things were so special to us as children because it was the only time of year you seen fruit. She said, so when the strawberries came in in June. She said, and then the, and then the, the bake apples came, and then the blueberries came. She says, as children, she said, we just spent all our time out in the woods picking, right? Because she said, well, we spent most of our time eating. She would say, as children, right? But you'd <laughs> yeah. go, right? But the but the tradition of going berry picking was was often women's tradition, and the women would women and the mothers and the and the sisters and all the aunts and the children would go off in the woods for a day. Now here we'd. Traditionally, they call it like going off for a boil up or a mug up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you go off in the woods for a day. But the berries were about subsistence eating then, right? In mom's time, um, and it was so important. But you know, it's only years later that you really realize the importance of it. it. Was, I mean, the importance for them was about the berries for sure. But now the importance, you know, sits in my heart with the time that I spent with mom and my aunts and nan and. And it was really a time when you, I guess you just learned about that passed on knowledge, right? And whether it was actually about picking berries or it was about, I don't know, whatever, you know, it was that, it was just that, that time that such attention was paid to food too, you know, that, yeah. that's what I remember about it, you know, and, and the, the, so picking stuff from the land was very common, you know, fishing was men's work in terms of out on the water. Um, and in mom's and nan's time, fishing was women's work happened when it came to shore. And so, it, it, you know, it's interesting throughout the generations how much of that, that work has kind of changed. But, um, it's, it's here. I always, you know, Marcia, who wrote the cookbook with me, Marcia will say, you know, she's got all these beautiful old photographs and, um, you see the men out salmon fishing and they're, you know, they're dressed like we are today right but now right we pods goes out famine salmon fishing now and sure they got four thousand dollars worth of gear on (laughs) (laughs) can't fish anymore without eight hundred dollar waders and four hundred dollar boots but it's it's i always find it interesting that subsistence eating and and the and the new the new fisherman or the new you know salmon fish it's yeah it's kind of it's anyway it's a it's an interesting juxtaposition. <laughs> it it <laughs> is, we, yeah. Yeah, and I, even, I think we see it. Sorry, I, no, I think we ahead. see it too in in like the hunting world. Uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day, 
or is it just people like going out? We we had an episode on backpacking food, and we were talking about like kind of the evolution of of taking food out with you. And people are like, you know, very common like trail mix and beef jerky, or just like the basics, or going out with, you know, just a snack and like hunting all day. But you think about the clothing, as you mentioned, is just like boots and pants and wool shirts or like you know whatever super super basic no camouflage like nothing and now you know i'm guilty of it myself you know i wear camouflage and it's just like it's turned into a performance and a social statement and all these other things that it's kind of like where do you draw the line at where does where's our culture evolved you know in the outdoor world to kind of shape it and uh, does it lean towards like this is an accepted norm for everyone or are we just interested in it or is it a necessity? Like, yeah, I don't know know either, but I mean, I'm sure if we gave my grandfather all the gear that we had on to be as comfortable as we are in the woods right now, like he would have absolutely taken it. (laughs) Oh yeah. 100%. No one's going to, I remember my grandfather telling me stories of like, he'd be sitting on the side of a pond bank and watching a deer, but he'd, the deer got startled because he was sitting there shivering so much because he was cold. <laughs> and like in, in today's time, I'm like, Goliath, you know, I got six layers on, like I'm right. good. I'm windproof. Right, you got your Merino wool and your, yep. right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Hey, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, my grandfather would always say, you know, it was, well, you know, it was a time when you just, you may do with what you had. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the hunt was not a luxury hunt. Like, I think, you know, a lot of what we do today is almost, it feels sometimes like a luxury, hey? You know, yeah. um, whereas here for, you know, the generations before me, it was a, definitely a subsistence hunt. I mean, not that we really, we don't really trophy hunt here as a, as a culture, mm-hmm. right? It, and, you know, we truly, the hunt is about subsistence eating, um, in that it's it's really about you know the big game especially um, is really the moose especially I, I would say almost exclusively the moose the moose hunt is about filling your freezer for the winter yep. right I mean the, the big panic comes on when the hunt starts to come and it's like do I have enough freezers right now <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a good like, problem to have <laughs> I know and like last week we were when we got dad's moose and, around, and I was like. Oh man, I need another freezer, and you can forget getting a freezer in Newfoundland in the, in the fall of the year because, like, they just get bought up, and like, there's only so many to go yeah. around. I could so. imagine too, and I think there's uh there's some issues freezers worldwide too, at least in the yeah. states. I know we're having problems with uh, appliances and things. And same just here. the other day, they said tires. I said, great. It's always something. It's always something. It's a new oh, world. That's it. Yeah. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, 
Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I guess that answers my question, Corey. This is one of Corey's favorite questions to ask, and I love it. He's just like, what's in your freezer now? But I think I think we answered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's always full of fur and feathers, actually. Yep. And, um, yep. you know, we we could go all around the place on, on, on how you – the best way to, to keep game birds and, and meat and stuff. But um, – Traditionally here, you know, the, the upland birds, the saltwater ducks, all that stuff was frozen with the feathers on. It seemed to be the best way to do it. So oftentimes I just do it like that. Same with the, same with the rabbits, you know. I'll just okay. leave them fur on. It's like the, it's better protection than anything. Really? Yeah. Although I found it, yeah, we do. And I know people find it totally weird. I'm like, no, I just freeze the whole thing, gut in, fur on. Gut in, gut in as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm huh. sure there's better ways to do it maybe, but. I don't know. We always did it like that. Not, I mean, the meat is wonderful. The the fur on it in the freezer is is the best protection ever. And I find for rabbit, the bones are so splintery mm-hmm. that uh, now what we have is snowshoe hair actually here. Right? Say, is it is it hair is it hair more like rabbit? So yeah, so it's real dark, like almost mm-hmm. black meat. Um, and uh, we have Arctic hair and snowshoe hair, mostly snowshoe hair. And uh, you can't vacuum pack that stuff, right? It just, it just goes through all the bags. I'm like, if someone has got to come up with a bag that's like rabbit bone proof. <laughs> what are we Ooh, doing? That's a business idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, so the best way to do it, um, that's how I do it anyway, and, and lots of people do it like that. And you just take them out as you need them and thaw them out and skin them, yeah. gut them, skin, you know. Gut them. Huh. Same with the birds. Like, lots of times I've been given birds as gifts. They'll come home and, and there's a... A particular fellow here lives not long from me, not far from me, and he uh, he'll call Larry Han. He'll call, Larry will call and say, uh, "Lori, uh, where are you to?" It's like old oh, Larry, I'm out, I'm out darting around, like uh, you know. Yeah, I just came by. I hung a few turs on the door, right? Mm. <laughs> He's not kidding. Like I'll come home and there's turs hanging on the door, and so <laughs> turs are are one of those birds. It's like this coveted bird in Newfoundland. We're actually. Um, I don't know, but we're the only place that's actually legal to hunt them in all of Canada. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to look them up. Yeah, so it, um, it's the murr, M-U-R-R-E, I believe. It's, uh, yeah, that's how it's spelled. And so we always we call them turs here. They're, they're a saltwater bird. Um, oh, yeah. Much like the puffin, like in, in uh-huh. you know, in Iceland and, and, and um, the Faroe Islands. They still eat the puffin up there. And we don't eat it here. We've It's become this pretty tourism icon here so we, we don't get to eat them anymore unfortunately but uh the tur is is a um yeah it's a special is a special saltwater bird for sure to us and it's special i mean just like dear to our hearts in terms of that uh yeah that being close to tradition and 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 a very cultural food for sure you oh, know yeah, but i mean uh... just, i freeze the turs with the feathers on got in yeah i mean I'm I'm starting to to see exactly what you're saying there. Yeah, the feathers and fur. I mean, that's their natural their natural purpose is to keep the cold out. So yeah, huh. it works I'm, great. <laughs> I'm gonna have to give that a try. But I was just looking. Looks like the New York Times they did an article back in 2016 on tur hunting. Yes, I think I've brought that up. I think there's a couple of pictures there of the turs up in the top of the boat, up in mm-hmm. the bow of the boat. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Very, oh, there they are. Very fishy birds, people would say. Oh, you know, the young people today won't eat them, right? They're like, oh, they're so fishy. But, yeah, they're fishy. They eat fish. <laughs> yeah. It's part of it. It tastes, like, it tastes like what it's supposed to taste like. Exactly. And it was funny. In the book, you know, Marcia talks about how she was determined to find something to do with the tur so it didn't kind of taste like tur. <laughs> and she what? ended up marinating it in... Um, in a uh, local distillery, Aquavit. Um, okay. Yeah, and then we just seared it, like, just, like, barely seared it and served it sort of medium rare, which would be, like, nobody here would eat that. I mean, it'd be unheard of. My father would come over and be like, what did you do as a bird? <laughs> He'd be disgusted. What's, what's, the, what's the way people would normally eat it? So they would be, you know, traditionally, they'd be just um, skinned or, mm-hmm. or not skinned. If you pluck the, the tur, is um the Pluckateur is, a, is an art in itself. I was actually able to go down with Larry, who I mentioned earlier, into his shed one day, and I was determined to learn how to pluck turs. I was like, this is going to be one of these lost art things. Of, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so to pluck it, it you know, you leave all the, obviously you leave all the skin on it, and all the fat is in the skin, and then all the that strong flavor, of course. People yep. would talk yep. about meat, right, and game birds and stuff, uh, especially seabirds. And, there, you know, there are people who will say that, Oh my God! You know, the husband or cooking turs, I won't even go in the house, right? But <laughs> <laughs> um, so they would be roasted, right? Roasted, skin on, stuffed with a traditional stuffing of savory and breadcrumbs and onions, okay. and then a gravy would be made on them, and they would be cooked several hours in the oven. And the only thing that saved them was the amount of gravy that you put on them. Right to hear. I was actually read to a woman Ooh. tonight. Yeah, I read to a woman tonight who said, she said to me, she's like, my God, I'd love a few turs now knee deep in gravy. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's, but that's traditionally how most things were cooked here, right? Like long, slow, yeah. roasted. And even went moose and stuff like that, like, which is why I was so determined to kind of prove to people that it can be, these meats can be, you know, just enjoy today. Like you can enjoy any piece of any kind of meat that you have, right? It doesn't, mm-hmm. just because we always ate it like that, it doesn't mean that we have to continue to do it, right? And exactly. for me, I think if we if we want to keep these, you know, for me, it's important that we keep these, these meats and, and, and this sort of way of life present on our table, um, and in order to do that, we are going to have to change how we prepare it. And like I tell people, that's okay, right? It's mm-hmm. because Dad won't come and eat it that way. That's all right. I'll cook a roast for him 18 hours in the, in the oven, and he'll come and be really happy with it. And then I'll have the back straps done like medium rare with, you know, some sort of cranberry something wild I picked, and it'll, it'll be brown butter, and my mom will think it's fantastic. <laughs> that's awesome. A good, a good spread, but... Um, it definitely shows the changes in in the palate and the changes in the food culture over time. Yeah, and I think it's okay to change, right? Like, we, we, uh-huh. I think we got to change. But if we don't eat it, if we stop eating it, I th- that's my fear is that we won't we won't pay attention when you know. I mean, for you guys, it's like I often hear about down in the states about you know, hunting hunting land, right? And and the land that you get to hunt on and mm-hmm. um you, we won't pay attention when changes get made with that. We won't pay attention to the quotas and, and, and when the hunts get cut back or if we're 
if it's not present on our plate and it's not part of our diet, my fear is that we will stop paying attention to it. And yeah. I think overall that's that's a lot of my driving force is that yeah. we need to keep putting it on the table. I, I agree, and I, I think especially we've seen a, a large emergence of sort of people call it like the field to fork or field to table movements or you know whatever it is and that's the food has been the connection point for bringing younger generations back out into the wild to to hunt to fish to forage to you know and each one as its own has seemed like a gateway to the other uh and i think that's incredible because we do have an abundance of it it's just like do people care enough to protect it as you said, or to pay attention. And yep, yeah. when you start putting important things on forks and spoons and cutting them with silverware and uh, people pay attention. Uh, but, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree for sure. Like um, when I grew up, most of the anything outside of berries and say almost dandelion exclusively was we were always told that that was poison, right? Mm-hmm. And parents and mothers and grandmothers told their kids that. Don't eat that. That's poison. That, that's poison. Don't eat that. Right? That was always what we were told. Because telling telling us that everything was poison kept us from eating stuff we shouldn't have been eating. Right? Oh, yeah. Because they didn't know. Right? They they, they didn't know what this stuff was and, and what, was, uh, what was edible. And so, but I think, you know, and that being the message I know here is created a really big fear around eating stuff from the land, which is which is kind of, you know, it's disappointing in that we have this big fear of the food that comes, that's like the ground that we walk on, mm-hmm. right? And, like, I'll take my mom to the beach now, and I'll, like, I'm like Mom, we can go to the beach with not only frying pan and and butter, basically. Of course, butter for everything. But, and, and like, gather wood, light a fire, pick seaweed to steam mussels, pick mussels, and pick mm-hmm. enough greens on the beach to make a salad. And we can have mussels and, you know, steamed in seaweed with enough greens to make a salad. And, uh, I mean, my that'll, like, blow my mom's mind. And she just, she's one of those people who will love the idea because they never knew that that stuff was available to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so... For the next generation of kids, like of coming behind me, and and well, even my generation, like this, this is a time when I feel that food is really changing here, in that we're becoming so aware of the food beneath our feet. It's happening everywhere, which is amazing, right? I think it's I think it's fantastic. So my gen, my children will be the first generation of children who will actually grow up picking mushrooms, and it will be a part of their culture. Because hundreds of kids now are out picking mushrooms with their fa- with their with their parents, and okay. that was that didn't happen in my time because no one knew what the mushrooms were. Yeah, right. And like my grandfather always says, a hundred years from now, Lori, right? This this is thing. A hundred years from now, and we lost him during COVID, so it was, there's always these these you know popisms coming back, right? And the pop would say, you know, a hundred years from now, he said. Sure, that's what you'll be eating, right? Or that that's how it will be, right? And so yeah. that's how it will be, is that these kids today will now get to grow up learning so much more about what the food that comes from the land in a different way. And isn't that what it's all about? That, yep. That's, you know? It's, an, right? it's, such, it's just an awesome, such an awesome thought and a, a realization, even like a goal. Like Yeah. I love oh, it. man. Me too. Yeah. So you know exciting. you have to come here, right? I, I want to come. 
I, I, I've uh, I've never visited. I think I'm trying to think. Uh, the the furthest north I've been is in Maine, the very southern part of Maine in the U.S. And yeah, again, um, uh, Daniel Vitalis. I don't know if you know him. We had him up a couple of years ago. Daniel came. He's from Maine. Big yeah. wild big wild food guy and uh, and hunter and yeah i mean he came up and it was it was fantastic to introduce people to this place for sure it's um it's a very different landscape than most people get a chance to like to live on it's um yeah yes i'm as you know, I'm as we've been as we've been discussing and you even after you kind of described the geography to me i'm just like trying to picture everything in my head and like put myself in the scenarios of like conversations or you know learning and out on adventures and foraging and fishing and i'm just like wow it sounds like an incredible place it is so. it's a it's a beautiful place to discover you know food from the land i gotta say and you know i really only took it on as as my lifestyle and my work mm -hmm. you know in the past 10 years Really, I guess it's been ten years that it's been very uh, intentional, and you know, and and a very intentional purpose and way of life, right? Where I don't I don't have to buy any meat from the supermarket. You know, I'm mm -hmm. absolutely fortunate. And it's funny, like you say, like it almost feels like today is, you know, it almost feels feels like this privilege sometimes that to get to eat like this, right? Mm -hmm. But you still get to eat like this, living here. Like, you can if you want to. Yeah. But you can't, I mean, the stuff that I forage, you can't buy it anywhere, right? The cured meats that I make from the moose, you can't buy it. You know, even even the charcuterie I make from the locally raised pork, like, you can't buy it. There's nowhere here. You can't buy local charcuterie here. Like, I remember for years going to going to New York or going to Montreal and going to the big markets and, like, seeing what people were doing with meat and, oh, like, yeah. taking empty suitcases home of cured meat. And then that, then there was that moment where it's like, man, what can I do with what's here, right? Mm -hmm. So the turning point. Becomes, turning it point. becomes easy, not maybe not easier because you have to learn technique and all this other stuff, but it becomes more available. And then it becomes, becomes a, yeah. a part of thought. Yeah. yeah, it becomes available and this amazing, you know, journey that you get to take if you, if it interests you enough to take it, I suppose, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and it did for me and, and it's absolutely changed my life, you know? Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I guess it's all what brings purpose and meaning to your life now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I was just thinking about that and, and like, in thinking about purpose, it's like life's kind of a, a, a series of small journeys. Not, mm. not maybe not maybe not traveling per se, but just like journeys, like journey into whatever, yeah. whatever makes you happy, like whatever you want to learn. Like, it, I think that that I never thought about it before, but that really defines like purpose in life of like all these mini journeys. I just all the time, it's like just find something that sets you on fire, right? Yeah. Right and 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 like at the moment, for for me, well at the moment it's koji. I don't know if you know koji. It's this like ancient Japanese mole that I'm in love with now, mm -hmm. and I'm growing. I've heard it. of it. Holy, it's 
freaked. It's like I just had a guy come here from um, – I hosted a guy from Boston who just wrote a book on Koji, and he just spent a week here. And I, like, oh, wow. had him out, and we – forage land we hunted unsuccessfully but um and you know he brought koji to newfoundland and now we invite i invited a bunch of chefs over who will actually do something with this knowledge right and they will change food in newfoundland and that's the stuff that just like blows your mind like to me that's just yeah like when i discovered that i could actually make charcuterie out of the meat that came from here and you, I can apply a technique that no one's ever applied to the meat from here. And now there's, we butchered a lamb the other night. And it's like, I'm going to be able to apply a technique that I just learned to an animal in Newfoundland. We call them saltwater lambs because they, um, they, they put them out on the, on these islands off the coast. It might sound ridiculous. But anyway, so in the spring of the year, all the lambs huh. go out to these islands and there's no predators yeah. out there and they live out on the islands. All, all summer and the fall they come back by boat um, in like small fishing boats and they carry the lambs back and forth and uh, and they're saltwater lambs. They live off the land out there. They taste amazing um, and then you butcher a lamb and now we're able to apply something new and that's when food and culture changes. Like yep. that will be a food that will be eaten that will have never have been made here before. And like I don't know, how can I not excite you? It's like yeah. now we're making moose brazola. It's like uh-huh. no one's ever made moose brazola here. No. Like that like that just sets me on fire. I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's whatever your thing is, right? But it's, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I'm excited. <laughs> I, uh, oh man, you're speaking my language, <laughs> right? Because that's because well, we, that's what we should be doing. Just think about the people you can bring together, the change you can make that make impact like mm-hmm. for yeah. and if if your jam is like your food and your culture and the people and the place you are like man just get into it <laughs> right right I just I, I just started a, a new journey myself in uh i'm not a baker right by by no means am i a baker uh but I've decided that this year I'm going to learn to be a baker. So I've started down the sourdough bread journey. Yeah. I'm, nice. I'm like four loaves in now. It's been about a month and a half of – not even a month. I would say three weeks because I was out hunting and I started my my starter and starter. Like all these other things. I got my first like baker's burn the other day. Nice. And I was like, nice. cool. <laughs> like I'm legit now. It. Um <laughs> No, but it's 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 fun. Uh I, I picked up a book. It's uh called New World Fermented Breads, I think it is. Ooh. But uh the the gentleman who wrote it is based, I believe, out of Miami. And okay. so he puts a lot of like Latin American spins, like cool. New World kind of he's got like coconut bread in there that's got like oh coconut God. flour and coconut shred and just like all these things, but it's just like, oh man. What a cool concept. So I'm, I've am i told my wife that it's my goal that I'm going to cook through all the bread in this book. <gasps> oh, what so. a benefit to her. <laughs> she just gets to reap the rewards. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. She's great. So we, we've been eating, uh, you know, I've, I've been baking at least once a week. So, like, we'll, I'll do a couple loaves and it'll last us the week. And it's just like, it, it, it's fun. My daughter's it looking forward to it. And so that gets me excited. So Yeah. 
And then, you know, at all this, it's all like, just get excited about anything and just take mm-hmm. it on, right? It's like hunting and, I mean, like I said, hunting for me was, was, was something that's kind of new, but to be able to have that product right from the field and um, and to be able to explore it and and cure it and, and, I don't know, taste it and do stuff with it that's never been done before, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's like pretty awesome. So let's so let's segue into that. Let's talk a little bit about your your book, um, because there there's a lot there's a lot in there. It's more than just a cookbook, am I right? Yeah, it's definitely more than just a cookbook, and I think it, that was always the intent for it to be more than a cookbook. Um, I was approached for a couple of years by a couple of publishers to write a book. Um, I was, you know, face and eyes into my business at the time, and uh, pr- primarily the business was a tourism business. And people mm-hmm. came and they traveled here, and um, and this place became a, a bit of a culinary hotbed. Um, and so I would take people out foraging. We'd spend four or five hours together. I'd light a fire. We'd cook five or six courses over the over open fire, all food of here and stuff that we picked along the way, and um and it was uh, amazing it was it was wonderful and um and then of course covid hit and I, and I shut my business down the nature of cooking out on the out in the bush with you know anyway sanitary and all those things that covid just destroyed oh, man. so um i shut the business down and actually one of the publishers called me and said don't suppose you want to write that book now <laughs> it's like <laughs> like actually well right and so I thought to myself, like, I'm not, I don't have that attention to detail. These are, you know, things that you realize about yourself as you go get a bit older. And I was like, I really want this book to have beautiful photographs. And I'm going to need, I'm going to need someone to help me make this happen. Mm-hmm. Just knowing myself all too well. Um, and um, Marcia ended up at one of my courses, actually. It was like a pork butchery course. And uh, and quickly did I realize, like, I'm not sure why you're here because I think you can put this pig better than I can. And <laughs> we, it was clear that we um, we were at the same kind of crazy that, you know, was, was just super exciting to both of us. We could um, we could definitely, like, find our way around the kitchen and, and pickle and bottle meat and butcher animals and make charcuterie and slum. Anyway... So we we just hit it off. We became, became great friends, and I remember saying to her this day, like, "Let's suppose you want to like write a book." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, okay." And I was like, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah." So um, it was that's that's how it started. And and for years, when I started traveling around the island for work, um, I started talking to people and collecting their stories. And so I would then use it as an excuse to get into people's homes and sit with them and have a cup of tea or have a beer in the shed <laughs> and mm-hmm. ask them about, you know, growing up and what. Because, so it might sound weird, I guess, but um, much of the island is still uninhabited, like I mentioned. Yeah. And much of it is still only accessible by boat. Um, there okay. are communities all around the island that there's still no roads to. And... It's, I want, you know, you can think of it like Italy in that the food is so regional here 
um, and very different from, you know, from community to community because when it came, it kind of stayed because there was no, there was no way to get from community to community. So however it was made, it was made like that. And, you know, what now takes a half an hour to drive took two hours by ferry. So no one ever yeah. went from here to there. So huh. the food and and the traditions of how the food was prepared for the winter, and like I said, you know, in a place where nothing grows for eight or nine months of the year, those preservation techniques stayed in those places. And so, you know, where, you know, where the, um, where smelt comes in is there's, you know, very small pockets of places where smelt come in. There's very small places where eels come in and nobody else gets freshwater eels or the seal hunt happens in, you know, very particular places. And so the more I went out and the more I traveled these places, the more I was just like starving to hear the stories of how food in this place was made and preserved and, and it was like, I have to start collecting these stories. Like I just started to create this fear that they were going to be lost. And if, and nobody was writing this down. I was like, how can no one understand the gravity of these preservation techniques and, yeah. and how important they are to how we actually, why we're still here. Right. So, um, I started collecting stories, whether it was by, by recording or by I had people write them down or I would sit and make notes and and you know Marcia's the same like she's been collecting stories from her family forever and so a lot of this book is around the tradition it's mm-hmm. around the people that we met that we've met over the years it's around our own families and the traditions um generations past and and how food came to be and why the traditions were so important, right? And, and, and the gravity of the, you know, when the capelin rolled, right? So the capelin are the small smelt like fish. Mm-hmm. They roll on our beaches here in June. They were a food source, but almost even more important, they were what, how farmers and, and actually like fertilized the fields and how they actually mm. made soil in Newfoundland. So, oh, wow. uh, oh man, like, so there's no, I mean, soil in Newfoundland is like, almost don't exist. Like there are places, there's, they call us the rock, right? So they don't mm-hmm. call us the rock for nothing, right? There's very little agriculture happens here. There's, there's the Codroy Valley on the West Coast in Newfoundland where there's some, you know, um, agriculture that can happen. But overall, where where our lands are very barren, very boreal forest, very arctic tundra, so soil was made with kelp and seaweed from the sea and mm-hmm. and and fish, and so Com- hit, composting basically. Yeah, right. So they yeah. just actually made soil, right? That's kelp awesome. and capelin and kelp and capelin and that, and so. For something that today, the, when so the capelin come in to spawn on the sandy beaches, and when they do, um, that like hundreds of pounds of capelin will wash ashore and dry up and die, right? When the tide goes out, mm-hmm. and so that's always collected by the local people, right? The 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 capelin and the kelp that roll in, it's all collected and taken back to even their their own gardens in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So. 
the idea of of trying to explain to people and how important that was to growing food is what we shared, right? The idea the you know the the tradition of how important it is today that we all still bring our children to the beach so that we can collect the capelin. And the old guy is there still with the old traditional cast net, you know, throwing the cast net out with all the little lead weight balls on the bottom and how he throws that net and how he'll bring it in. He don't want the capelin. He brings it in and and opens that net and all the cape, you know, the four or five pounds of capelin flip-flop on the beach and all the little kids come over with their buckets and pick them up. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we did as kids, right? That's what Marcia talks about that she did with her children. Like, that's that's how you continue to pass that stuff on, right? It's through doing. Mm-hmm. It's through letting them see and being involved in things like that. Same with, with the hunt, right? And so, yeah, so the book is full of those kind of stories. And, and you know... My mom's tea buns and and my great grandmother's gingerbread cake, and then there's the this stuff that Marcia and I are doing with moose and there's moose brazola and there's like rabbit liver pate and and oh, yeah so it's it's new discoveries it's old it's I don't know so it's, it's of, it sounds to me like very much a a culinary love note as 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 you will culinary love notes I love it well said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Just the uh, the whole the whole thing. It sounds incredible. Uh, well, um, we'll get a copy out to you, and we'll we'll get a copy out to our listeners. Yeah, let's. Uh, can we talk through a couple of the recipes? So I'm I'm really curious about the moose recipes, mm. or your own moose recipes, even if they didn't make it into the book. Uh, yeah, I think. I'm very, I'm very curious. Yeah, I think our our favorite discover. Well, my favorite discovery was. Um, was probably the the salt moose, and mm-hmm. so in here the salt beef was and that's a brine beef right in in, in a liquid brine mm-hmm. um, was how meat was preserved here, and so every Sunday we have what's called jigs dinner, and so the jigs dinner is almost what you think of the French pot of foo, which is all the there's a piece of salted meat and soaked overnight, and the next day it's put into this pot. And it's cooked for three or four hours, and then you start to layer all the vegetables in, the cabbage, all the root vegetables, the turnip, the carrots, the potatoes, and that's all cooked. Um, And then there's a gravy made on a piece of fresh meat. But before there was the fresh meat, there was wild game. And then before there was wild game, there was even just the salted meat. And so the idea like I mentioned earlier that there was meat that was you know cuts of meat that were left in the freezer that nobody did anything with you know or in the beginning I started collecting all this meat where people were like the hunt is up again it's moose hunting season I still have meat I was like just give me your meat I'll make you salt meat and then I'll just give it back to you and so we started making like it's something like in England they called it like corned corned beef mm-hmm. right but here yeah. it's salt meat and so it's made with uh um, beef traditionally, but now I make it with moose. And so now there's like moose pastrami sandwiches being made and moose tongue Ooh. pastrami sandwiches. And oh man, it's oh, amazing. Man. I love it. Corey, Corey would love that. He's, uh, he's got, uh, some solid, uh, goose pastrami recipes See? and he like brines, he'll do like, he'll brine them 
it takes him three days usually to make it. He'll brine them, or maybe longer. Brines them, and then he smokes them, and just he seizes like seasons them three or four different ways, and then slices them for pastrami sandwiches, and just like, oh, oh good see, stuff. I'll have to, I, I haven't had enough goose in my life to, to play with, but I would sort of depend on other people to bring me goose. Have mm-hmm. have, have I not had a successful goose hunt yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I'm hoping to get more into goose this year. We'll see because mm-hmm. I was down in in Florida, and you don't get too 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 many geese down that way. Um, Snow geese seem to be the big thing here on the on the in the maritime provinces and mm-hmm. and across Canada. Um, it seems like we we don't get snow. We, we mostly just have the the Canada goose here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty but, common. I think what I've seen here mostly. I know they have a they do have a snow goose, and a lot of the middle states in the U.S. Uh, they're having a lot of problems with the snow goose. Uh, uh, so there's like extra seasons tacked on and uh, unlimited bag limits and things like that. Oh, my gosh. I should go do sounds, that then. It <laughs> sounds phenomenal. Sounds like I need a goose hunt in my life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, a goose hunt vacation. Um, so, well, I guess let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this book giveaway. Yeah. How do we so, do that? I, I had an idea. And my idea is that uh, what I think people should do is they should screenshot the podcast that they're listening to right now, take a screenshot, and you can share it on Instagram and Facebook or Instagram or Facebook, and you tag Harvesting Nature and you tag Cod Sounds when you do it. Awesome. Can we, and then, can we, can we tag Food Culture Place too? Yep. Let's do that. Like it. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Food Culture Place. Tag them as well. So three tags. Yeah. So take a screenshot. It can just be like you on Apple Podcasts with the episode title and whatever minute you're at, uh, which would probably be this minute. But uh, take a screenshot and then share that on your Instagram or your Facebook. Tag Harvesting Nature. Tag Cod Sounds. And tag... Food Culture Place. Food Culture Place. And then what we'll do is we'll compile all those results... And then we'll randomly select a winner on November 17th. That's a Wednesday when we typically release podcasts. So whatever episode releases on November 17th, listen to that episode, and I'll announce it in the first part of that show. Wicked. It sounds awesome. Perfect. So the books are now available on Mm -hmm. Indigo um, and Amazon. um, Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, they are ready for uh, they're ready for order. The the cover I, I have it pulled up on Amazon right now. The cover looks phenomenal. Like, <laughs> Thank what, you. what is that dish? What is the dish okay. on the front? So this was Marsha's creation. the the paint the the piece behind this is actually a painting that I had from a dear friend of mine in Montreal. His, his name is Scott McLeod, and I had actually just pulled the painting off the wall because I was moving some stuff around. Mm-hmm. And then the place is from a local potter, Alexis Templeton, who I have to mention, of course. And the and that's smoked salmon. So as Marcia and I drove across the island, there is a little corner store. Okay, so corner stores are the heart of Newfoundland. And there is a little corner store where you can go, and this guy from the community makes smoked salmon. Ooh. And so we had stopped on our trip across the island and picked up some smoked salmon. 
and then everything else there and the, the the baked apple is that's on the fork that's like the berry my mother says is like picking hen's teeth as we all know hen's teeth are very rare <laughs> but picking <a> baked <laughs> apples in newfoundland is like walk six feet pick one walk another six feet pick another oh, one wow so they're they're pickled and um marcia picked all those beautiful weeds from um from the yeah, from the land. There's wintercress and there's dandelions and watercress and um, sorrel and I'm just looking at it and going. Oh, it looks and so there's good. Larch and juniper and yeah, and so it's a real it's a re- and she just the painting was laid on top of the deep freeze actually and she took made the plate and laid the painting laid it on the painting and it was like oh my gosh so we had done like maybe six specific photo shoots for this mm-hmm. cover and none of them the between the publisher and and the and the uh, distributors were were particularly happy with <laughs> and, isn't it funny yeah. how that always works out i know and this was just like that happen chance photo that just yeah. came and we were like man that's pretty nice <laughs> yeah and everyone kind of liked it and then down in the corner there's like dandelion seeds that were just blown mm-hmm. off the yeah so it beca- so it's cool. become pretty special yeah, it should be. Yeah. You should get it. You should get it printed and frame it. Yes, yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, it's, I have the plate now. It sits in my dining room on a little plate stand. And I asked the potter plate. if I could keep it because it was a bunch of her. It was a bunch of her sort of off firings from the from the from the kiln, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was I emailed her the cover. I was like, so the cover's been chosen, and it's it's your plate and. It's kind of important to me now. I'm wondering if I could buy it from you. And she says, let's just say you could keep it. <laughs> so awesome. it was very nice. She's a she's a, she's a part of my rotary group, actually. So lovely person and a wonderful potter. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a nice piece. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. I'm very happy with the cover. Well, so now that everyone's gone out and purchased your book, mm-hmm. what's the best way they can connect with you on social media? So Marsha is at Food of Generations. Okay. And she is the photographer for the book and um at, you know has uh, added at least half the the recipes and stories from the West Coast of Newfoundland which sort of tells mm-hmm. the story of East to West. I'm at Food Culture Place on mm-hmm. Instagram and uh on Facebook and Cod Sounds and Lori McCarthy at Cod Sounds and uh, on Facebook too so Mostly Instagram. Instagram is where you where you can find me, and there's the website God Sounds and LaurieMcCarthy.ca. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is sort of the part of the show where we give uh, we give sort of any last thoughts, misfires, alibis, anything you want to leave the listeners or myself with, or ask or request or anything. Anything's up in the air. No. Oh. So. Um. You know, I think. This is the the on the spot sort of fired at me, but um, <laughs> it's all right. I would say that what I've taken, you know, this this book has been a journey. This embracing this sort of lifestyle has been a new journey for me. Um, it's absolutely changed my life. It's changed the people that I've um, brought into my life and and met people that have absolutely changed my life. Um, it's brought an enormous amount of, of uh, you know, just depth and understanding to 
who I am and and who the the people are that are from here. Um, it's it's made it's created deep meaning in my life, and so I I think for me I would encourage people to do the same. You know, go sit with your grandparents, go sit with the with the generation um, before you, sit with the generation that 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 you know we we brought into the world or those of you who are around you and and share with them what food is to you share with them what your culture is to you because man does it come back tenfold yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome <laughs> well i appreciate you coming on uh and chatting with us i'm very much looking forward to reading and cooking my way through your book uh, I'm excited that we had the opportunity. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to give away a book to a listener. I think that's really awesome as well. And uh, I look forward to hopefully coming for a visit sometime soon. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, all yeah. right. Well, for everyone else out there, all these show notes uh, will be online. So whatever podcast platform you listen to, you can scroll down. You'll see those with all the links to the things we've talked about, including uh, the links to connect with Lori and uh, to get the book, to see some of the recipes and visit Cod Sound's website and, and take in all the good things that are going on there. Uh, for everyone else, once you're done there, uh, head over to Harvest of Nature on whatever social media platform. Make sure you're following us because we've got some cool things too. Uh, and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Tell us what we're do- doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. We love it either way. Uh, And thanks, everybody. Have a good night. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.